Welcome to Let's Watch a B-Movie, another edition. Actually, our 13th episode, Lucky 13, or Unlucky 13. Lucky 13. Well, okay, we'll we'll go with Lucky 13. Are we watching the movie yet? We've already seen the movie. (laughs) Well, I have. See, look, audience, I do my homework, my due diligence. I've seen the movie. I've done my notes. I have my research. This uh, this pantser, fly-by-the-seat pantser over here, uh, supposedly watched the movie, but we'll find out today if he's well-prepared or if he's doesn't know what he's hey, talking I, about. I'm so. well prepared. I have notes. That's tic-tac-toe boards and and looks like what? Do you know how hard tic-tac-toe is, especially when you play against your wife? It looks like you're playing by yourself and you still lost. Like how's that possible? You don't need to tell them all my secrets. We are reviewing the movie Fright Night, the original, not the remake, the original. As they say in the movie, "Welcome to Fright Night." What kind of accent was that? I don't know, but isn't there like a weird way they say it in the movie? They're yeah, like, it was a... Fright Night! Welcome to Fright Night. Yeah, the Transylvanian accent is what I'm looking for. I can't do it, but I know what it is. I can't do it either. Hopefully it sounds better on there. It was closer than mine, so... Welcome to Fright Night. We're just going to introduce every podcast with that voice. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so welcome to Let's Watch a B-Movie. Was, was Candyman saying it, though. I really wish I'd never introduced you to that voice. Well, you did, and you can't take it back now. So now that I know you can do it, I want to hear it every time. So Fright Night, as I was saying, released in 1985. Interesting enough, it was behind Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, which was the highest grossing horror film. When did I first see the movie? I first saw the movie back, oh, man, right after high school. I found it in a video store. I rented that and The Hitcher. Two VHS videos. This was definitely back in high school for sure. Yeah, I saw it on video, and then I think I did have the DVD at one point. Never the Blu-ray, but the DVD I had. Probably went the last five, ten years without really paying attention to it. When do you remember first seeing Fright Night? To be honest, when I first seen Fright Night, it was actually right before I watched Lost Boys. The reason I remember that is because, you know, Fright Night is not really a scary movie. That, and a lot of people said that it's pretty much a gateway horror almost. It's not gory. It's not scary. It's still something that you can still ease a kid into. Yes. And there's also not really all that much cursing in it. It's not a lot of gore. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of... So my dad decided, okay, well, I you know, I think it was close to Halloween. They were having some kind of vampire movie marathon. And, th- and Fright Night came on. We watched it. And I was also the only one up when Lost Boys came on. That's a good double feature. Friday Night with right. Lost Boys go together very well. And Lost Boys goes to goes by itself very well. And it goes with its sequels. But no, no. no, no. Don't you dare. Uh, I haven't seen them. Have you seen them? Yes. This must be like in the same category as Home Alone 4 and Home Alone 5. No, it's in the same um, category of it needs to get fucked. So I tried to take my, my nostalgia goggles off when I watch this because with older movies, I have a built-in bias towards older movies, especially ones I liked as a, as a child. We all do, of course. But I try to take those, uh, take that off and try to be unbiased and look at it just objectively and, and try to analyze it. But some of this is still going to be some bias in this, but it was the same thing with Tremors too, I think, also. Um, for, only problem with me is, uh, for some reason, watching them now, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just older and can actually, and I'm more, unlike Vic, I'm actually more into more serious horror. So when I watch a movie like this, it's something that I seriously enjoyed when I was a kid. All of a sudden now I'm just like, what the fuck was wrong with my 13-year-old brain? You've become a cynical old man, that's all. I see that, and I'm only 28. Going from kid to adult, one thing you lose is that joyous, not hope, but that, that sort of image of the world that allows you to enjoy fun things that slowly deteriorates and goes away as you get older. 
That's what happened to Nick over here. <sighs> I still have the joy in me, the inner joy, the inner child in me is still there. I still go to McDonald's and get happy. No, no, actually, that's not true. But yes, um, I mean, it comes with a toy. So oh. nostalgia side, it's not going to cloud my judgment. Say, I'm going to try to give a yeah, fair, objective review with some bias, <laughs> but maybe like 25% bias, but 75% just good analysis. 15%. Um, our movie begins with very, very exaggerated lip syncing. Felt like I was watching a Britney Spears concert from the 90s. You're hearing a, a video in the background. It's a movie that this kid, that the kid and his girlfriend are watching. Charlie. Yeah, and you just hear the very exaggerated kissing sounds. Yes. Something you never hear in anything in the fucking world. But for some reason, in this movie, when there's when the, they're not showing the kissing, it's exaggerated. When they are, you hear nothing. So well, it, this is. This is kissing in the '80s on film. So, so. I want to, I want somebody to explain to me why we need an exaggerated smooching sound to understand people are kissing. I don't know, but <sighs> the main point here is that we are introduced to our main character Charlie and his girlfriend Amy. They're in Charlie's bedroom, and we're also very loosely introduced to Peter Vincent's character. He's in the background on the TV killing vampires. And this is how everyone should know not to trust Peter Vincent for one reason. In the movie, in the in the movie where they could have stopped this, he had the stake backwards. He said, "Now it's time for you to die." <laughs> Has the stake damn backwards, but the point facing towards his face, while the flat end facing towards the vampire. I'm like, yeah, did gonna, no one catch that? How are you gonna kill a vampire with a stake backwards? I mean, was that was that intentional for a gag for anybody who probably caught that? Well, there's a lot of cheese going on with <clears throat> Peter Vincent. He's clearly not a serious vampire killer. He's clearly more of a cheesy vampire killer. So the stake backwards may have been playing into that, that this is really not that serious. Notice the words vampire killer. I found that funny because, as we know now, everything is vampire slayer. But I guess maybe we would have no Buffy the Vampire Slayer if there was already a vampire slayer back in the 80s. Peter Vincent, though, of course, is just a play on Vincent Price. And actually, it's a play on Vincent Price and Peter Cushing, which were like horror icons back in the day. Vincent Price was in a bunch of horror movies. So I'm this is like so the, sorry, Vincent Price. I am yeah, so this sorry. is basically <laughs> not a parody, but this is like the clown version of Vincent Price is Peter Vincent. And we got actually, uh, what's his name? Roddy McDowell, I want to yeah, say his name Yeah, Roddy McDowell played Peter Vincent. He actually doesn't come in until what, 45 to an hour into the movie? About 40 minutes into the movie. Yeah, so he's actually not in the movie that mu- that long. All right, so let's toss him aside for now. We'll come back to him. Yeah. To be honest with you, Charlie is a very unlikable character. Initially. Fuck, the only thing he does good in the whole damn movie is literally saves the girl. He doesn't do, to me, he doesn't do anything else that signifies he's a good character. Well, <laughs> he has good intentions, I guess. He's trying to stop, well, he's a bad boyfriend. I make no no bones about that. He's a terrible boyfriend, neglective. He is. He does have horror movies playing in the background. We quickly, quickly surmise that this is a big horror movie junkie. Keep we'll, that in mind. We'll be contradicting later on, but... For now, does see his neighbor carrying a coffin, which... It's a nice coffin. It's a very nice coffin, and but this is... I would sleep in it. It's not something you see every day. You look out your window, you see your neighbor carrying a coffin. Clearly, just like Fire 13 Part 2, clearly the HOA in the, this neighborhood sucks. First, you don't see Jason walking around, and now you miss the two people carrying a damn coffin. Well, what are you, you doing, Neighborhood Watch? Are you sure there's even an HOA at this place? Yeah, this is a nice suburban neighborhood. They definitely, definitely have an HOA. They never mention it in the whole movie. All suburban neighborhoods like that have HOAs. Neighborhood Watch, somebody should be seeing this guy. By the way, for the rest of the movie, do we ever see other neighbors? 
Anybody outside? No. This is like an abandoned neighborhood outside of them and Jerry. <laughs> so again, Danish. why would there be an HOA if the entire neighborhood's abandoned? That's stupid. They should. I mean, is it very they should possible? Have one scene of like kids playing down you know the street. I think I know what it was. So. What it is? The neighborhood was just being built. Uh, I don't. I Even don't. though there was a freaking church next door to the vampire's yeah, house. I don't buy this. is a This is a well developed <laughs> suburban. This could be any suburban neighborhood in America, and they're right there in the yard carrying a coffin. But that said. Our main hero, I'm not going to call him hero, our main character, Charlie, hasn't earned the right to be called hero yet. Or maybe he won't at all. We'll see. I was about to say. And now if he was already a neglective boyfriend, now he's 20 times neglective. And his girlfriend actually says, like, basically, like, okay, you want to make love? Let's go ahead and do it. And now he's got his binoculars and he's focused on his neighbors carrying the coffin. Which I feel is just so unrealistic. Knowing teen hormones and how things were escalating... The only counterpoint is now, yes, most guys would be like, oh my God, she wants to have sex. But this guy is such a big horror movie fan. Maybe seeing that damn coffin, which is pretty unusual. That's like seeing a UFO almost. I mean, what are you talking about? My dad has a coffin in his car- in his garage. Well, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but <laughs> backwards for, one, for, to be honest. For the normal common Joe Schmo, we don't see coffins in our day to day life. <laughs> Nick Ark. Now I'm very, very suspect of my co-host here. So, don't um, worry. If I if I disappear I'll, one day, just just know that he was talking about his dad having a coffin. All right. It's, oh no, honestly, that coffin's probably what he's going to get buried in. By the way, what? By the way, we're recording this at night. I've never seen him during the day. So <laughs> I'm getting really suspect. So super neglect of now. He's only focused on that. And the girlfriend doesn't didn't she didn't see the coffin, so she doesn't understand. So she basically takes off and is pissed off. And she we, wouldn't have understood anyway. She doesn't watch the horror movies, I'm guessing. So. Well, she probably does, but again, why should anyone care about what a neighbor does in his own damn place? It is a coffin. So that what? is not normal furniture. <laughs> oh, come on. That looked like a very comfy you bed. You move into a new apartment. And you I, don't have the big screen TV, the couch, and the coffin. No. And I bet you anything, go on any horror site and type in... Who sli- who would sleep in a coffin or have sex in a coffin? I guarantee you, half the women will probably say yes. Regardless, as a horror movie junkie, he's suspect, and I understand why he's suspicious. I wouldn't be suspicious at all. Not okay. yet, anyway. There's there's a reason later. Okay. Anyways, let's move on. That's just our first reason for him to be suspicious of his new neighbor. Well, let's talk about his friend Evil Ed for a second. Are they friends? Because we don't even well, know. <laughs> Well, the dynamic is weird, and I found myself thinking, like, is this what friendship was in the 80s? Because, like, are they friends? It seems like they hang out, but they don't like each other. So I don't know. That goes against my whole definition of friendship, I guess. Plus, Evil Ed's just a very annoying character. He seems like more. he would be more of a loner, I would say. Right. I mean, he comes up, he's extremely loud. Obnoxious voice. Obnoxious, loud, and he... Over-the-top facial expressions. Right. And again, he, and also another thing that makes me think they're not really friends is he does call Charlie Brewster, which is his last name. Brewster! Most, most people who call others by their last name is not exactly friends with you. Yeah, he's almost like, um, it's weird. He's almost like... He's just a, there. He's like a bully slash outcast. It's very weird. But he's not um, even a bully. He's not a bully, but he's like kind of kind of picks on Charlie in a way. Right. Not really. I don't know. Well, we'll get to his character more, more in a minute. He already has reason to be suspect of his neighbor, but then he actually sees... Well, the blonde, we don't actually see anything happen. We don't see anything happen, but you do hear a scream. Yes. And after that scream, the next day, he decides to... Investigate. Investigate. Go to the to the trap door that leads to the basement, 
in which case this very first jump scare made my wife laugh so fucking hard really yes it was when the uh the familiar or the ghoul or whatever the hell this guy is jumps out and scares charlie from opening the door so we have basically we have the vampire who's uh jerry dandridge and then we have his his ghoul his his keeper his his day-to-day manager basically. and i won't lie until you find out exactly what he is or i guess no one knows exactly what he is but until you find out he's not human you think it's just a familiar someone who just who's defending him with the promise of being turned at some point see i didn't even pick up on that i just thought that maybe it could be as simple as him getting paid <laughs> i don't know i but... mean it could be that too i mean why the fuck I don't not know. It's... So the scream that he hears, basically, I mean, that's enough to be suspect. Yep, that's a suspect thing. And then finding, and then seeing her on the news the next day, hearing that she disappeared. Yes, but as far as investigating by actually trespassing on to do its property, that was a bad idea. And then getting caught. Uh-huh. The problem is you have to be, you have to think ahead and think, hey, if this guy is bad news, me investigating might not turn out well for me. Which again is very unrealistic. Again, two suspect things is not enough to put yourself in danger. Yes. At that time, I would think most people would be like, hey, this is pretty suspect. I'm worried. I hear a scream across the street. I see on the news the next day that that same woman I saw enter that house is now dead. First thing I'm going to do. Instead of putting myself in danger, I'm going to put the cops in danger. I'm calling the fucking cops. Oh, <laughs> we're going to get there. Don't worry. You're, you're, you're two steps ahead of him. He's on the right track, but he needs, <laughs> he needs more to get there. Oh, I do like the score of the movie. There's like a... It actually reminds me of The Lost Boys. Very also, like 80s techno kind of... And there's a guitar riff also, though. So it's very, but then um, again, this one also does... I think because it plays a little bit more with love than any of the other vampire movies, yes. it has more of that loving feel, but also that eeriness that of a horror movie. So, okay, let's get to the second thing, the second kill. The girl in the window. Now, again, uh, to be honest, the girl in the window kind of looks a little bit like Amy also, uh, just with, you know, different style hair. And as and you brought this up earlier, but uh, if you're a vampire and you're going to just chow down on this character, on, on the girl's neck, would you do it in front of an open window? Yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> be more discreet about it. Close the damn window. I mean, again, in my opinion, I still don't think it would be realistic for Charlie to just be sitting in front of his window waiting for something to happen. But this is, he's already suspect about it, so he's watching it consciously. He's actually sitting there with popcorn, horror movie in the background, binoculars, watching. So he's prime position to see this happen. But like I said, if you're a vampire, there's no reason to like have the fucking windows be in clear. Yeah. I mean, everybody closes their blinds at night. Like, what do you, so uh, maybe he just, maybe he wanted to tease his neighbor because obviously I don't you know, think the girl so. was, the girl was beautiful. No, but the vampire, everything he does is pretty discreet and low key. He doesn't want to be discovered. But one thing I want to mention about both the girls that have you paid attention to the newscast saying that they were both found dead. Both of them were prostitutes. Okay. So. Well, there's two angles of that. The one angle you're going to say basically they weren't good people. And Well, I can't really say good people because personality wise they could have been uh, great people. But they didn't have the correct profession and most likely didn't exactly have any family to go home to. That's the second one I was going to say. Maybe he's looking for drifters who, you know, aren't going to have people coming to look for them in the future. It's a clean kill. Exactly. And then you got Charlie doing the second dumbest thing in the damn world. And that's he sees them bringing the body out and he goes and hides in the bushes. Yes. 
Charlie, uh, I don't think he scored well on his SATs. I don't think he scored well on anything. I mean, he already failed trig. I'm surprised he's in trig. <laughs> <laughs> He should be. With, he should be with me in pre-algebra. <laughs> so I don't even think he should be in pre-algebra. Oh my gosh! Hey, listen, man. There's nothing wrong with pre-algebra, right? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying he should be lower. Now he was. You were too obsessed of him. Your, your advice before was, "Hey, get the cops, dude." Well, hey, he gets the cops, and <sighs> fortunately. Both you and him have to understand that, as I've always said, cops are useless in horror movies. Especially when it comes to a situation like this. I mean, put yourself in the cop's position the minute this kid starts talking crazy. Well, imagine you're dealing with real crime. You're solving crimes every day, real things. There's real criminals out there. A kid calls you, tells you, actually brings you to someone's house and claims that it's a vampire. I mean, yeah, you got real shit to deal with. It's like, let me get back to this real case. Exactly. And here's another thing. Now, I, I hate the fact that Charlie just pretty much threw the whole thing out the water right then and there. But at the same time, the cop's also kind of an idiot himself. Name one cop that would take a witness to a possible crime scene ah. in person and just be like, yeah, he also lives right next door. Well, hey, well there's, um, again, to go back to the, uh, the stupidity of Charlie... Not anonymous people make the call, basically, but not give any thought that you were the one that called the police. Exactly. By going over there with a the cop, as you said, you're exposing yourself to the ghoul who clearly is like, whoa, this kid who I just saw trying to trespass the other day is now brought the cops here. Again, you're starting to piss the vampire off, I'm pretty <laughs> sure, with this damn uh, Goonies-level investigation you're doing here. Oh, yeah. And so the cop being reasonable is just like, ah, kid, just if you ever call me again, you know, I'm gonna lock you up probably so another thing they've established in that scene uh is a picture of amy or at least a picture of a woman that looks exactly like amy and he immediately says amy so this is established that basically this is either a woman who looked just like amy or uh ancestor or descendant of but <sighs> basically we know now that somehow going forward in the movie there's going to be some connection between amy and our vampire jerry well, not really with amy per se but Again, with the fact that she looks like him. Once he gets a look at her, he's going to have exactly. some strong feelings towards Amy. Me personally do believe that the woman could have possibly been his wife before he was turned. Or it as or it could have been the vampire who turned him. Yeah, because... Uh, There's usually some emotional connection with the vampire who turned you. Um, or probably not. Could have been a girl they had a crush on in high school. <laughs> what do you think about that? Don't don't be bringing your social life into. I this. mean, hey, listen. If I became a don't fan, bring your sad life into listen, our podcast. You think that I wouldn't? If I be a vampire, like I wouldn't get a portrait of Susie Salisbury from Biology and also, is Evil just stoned out of his ass for this next scene or for every scene he's in? Well. Sometimes you find a character where, like, you actually really, really would like to talk to the actor and meet the actor. Like, I would have liked to meet, like, just in an interview with them and, like, is that how he really talks and how he acts? It's like, it's either actually really good acting or, like, I, I mean, don't he, know. But. He was either stoned off his mind or he has some strong ADHD. I mean, stronger than mine. Yeah, because I don't take any medicine for my ADHD. What do you call the Mondo? I call that, uh, I guess it's a knockout pill. That's uh, an enabler. <laughs> to your ADHD. Cheers. <laughs> Okay, so basically, one thing to add to that cop scene, the cop leaves, and the ghoul basically looks at Charlie and tells him, basically, like, shit's on now. Gives him a look like, yeah, you better be scared now, kid, because you done messed up. That was kind of an all-or-nothing move for Charlie, because you bring the cops to the guy's house, like, okay, unless the cop is going to solve this for you, when it gets dark tonight, you're probably going to (laughs) die if this doesn't work out. It was an all-or-nothing move. 
It didn't work out, so now Charlie goes back to his house. The ghoul's looking at him like, yeah, shit's about to go down as the sun goes down. So now... This is where we get to question his validity of liking horror movies when he goes to Evil Ed. When I have a problem like that, I think, let me go to my, my friend's house for advice and... No, I don't, but maybe in the 80s, that's what they well, did, apparently. So. I, advice is one story, but completely asking about vampiric lore when you were literally shown watching on multiple occasions vampire movies. All this kid does is watch vampire movies, and he doesn't know how vampires work. I so. mean, I, underst I can understand uh, maybe questioning some of the logic behind some of the vampire movies, but how bad is vampire movies in that world that you don't trust those movies up until you need the vampire killer. It's a weird contradiction because we needed to show him watching vampire stuff because we needed him to have a connection with Peter Vincent, but that means he should be a horror movie vampire knowledgeable person. Exactly. But so he, why pay $8 for well, stuff you should know? Well, this is where it gets silly. So basically, again, while I'm questioning the silliness of their friendship, he goes to Evil Ed for advice. Evil Ed's like, no, I'm not helping you, Brewster. And then he offers him $8 and he's like, oh, okay, I'll take your money. Like, what the hell? What kind of friend is that? Like, you just, it's obviously serious and you just only, once he offers the $8. By the way, did he actually give him the $8 though? Yo, he gave it to him. Okay. So there's actually. He got that first before he got the cross. So he gives him $8 and Evil Ed basically starts spewing all the vampire rules that we know. Basically, you're going to need holy water, get some garlic. He can only come into the house if he's invited in. Now, ironically, while he's getting this advice, his mom's at home inviting the damn vampire in the house. And also, she says, you can come in whenever you want. Yeah. Giving him a future invitation for life. Yeah, he, she's dead. Well, she's dead. He's dead. Mom just killed the whole family. <laughs> the dog's probably dead, too, if there is a dog. No, there wasn't a dog. Yeah, he comes home to get the garlic, the holy water, everything. But dude, Jared Danridge is already in his room, or in, in his living room, basically, and already promising, like, I'll be seeing you soon. And he said it multiple times. He was not subtle. And the mom's just like, oh, that's so nice. Y'all can be good friends. So for me, this is where the movie starts to, it's not in, it's not in like full blown, full running now, but after a slow start, it's starting to pick up steam now that uh, shit's going down, I would say a little bit. Yeah. Cause now we get Jerry and Charlie technically meeting really face to face for the very first time. Yeah. He said he's going to see him soon. And by that he meant later that night. Yep. I'm just kind of surprised he just didn't kill the mom, which he, all he does is he grabs the door and breaks it so she can't get out. Yeah. So one thing to mention, basically, before we go further, is so far the vampire Jerry Danridge, his neighbor, yes, he's a vampire. And yes, he did kill a few prostitutes. But other than that, a rather unassuming, quiet, peaceful neighbor doing his own thing. Maybe doing a bad thing, but as a vampire who's... Who, I mean, it's who, still survival who, who, form. Who are we to judge? He's a vampire. Again, it's survival form. It's, it's. I mean, does anyone think a leopard is evil for killing an antelope? Yeah. So he has a neighbor. He has a kid. He has a, this high school neighbor who first trespassed on his property, then brought a cop to his house. Clearly keeps making trouble. And now for his own privacy and identity he has to basically maybe kill this kid now i'm not saying that at this point that that charlie deserves to die but you can kind of see where the vampire is coming from oh yeah at well this point. So. again well the even the what's bad is so in with their interaction during in the room he even tells them i don't want to kill you so i'm gonna make you the choice i didn't have and which is very clear that he was turned he was turned but the point is basically without charlie's ridiculous investigation 
if he had just left well enough alone, would any of this happen? Because I'm pretty sure Jerry was just going to chill and not do anything. Oh, hell yeah, because Charlie would have had someone to miss him, at least until he saw Amy. Then things probably would have picked up right then and there. Yeah. But that's also where we get to finally see Jerry's true form. Yeah, he's an ugly-ass vampire. <laughs> so let me say right now, too, the actor who plays Jerry's name, uh, Chris Sarandon, he's also uh, Prince Humperdinck and Princess Bride. He plays a cop in Child's Play. He's a really good actor, and I'm not understating, I'm not overstating when I say that he pretty much makes the whole movie because if this vampire character is a fail, then the whole movie's a fail. This dude is super suave, super chill, but menacing also. He says stuff like, oh shit, like, this dude means business, but always laid back. Even when he says things like to, um, or around, um, Charlie's mom, basically. He's being suave, winning her over, basically, and saying some evil shit, but she's not even suspicious of him because while, he's so yeah, charming while, while doing it. pretty much telling Charlie's like, yeah, I'm coming to kill you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so big, not, pro- big props to Chris Randon. So I want to say something almost, I don't know if it's because I probably, I watched an episode of Full House right before, but. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> but seriously, I, I sat there and watched this, I'm like, I, I, I was just like, it's Why not, does that look like that's John? That's not Uncle Jesse. No, don't do it. <laughs> like, Why? What did John Stamos do a horror movie without me realizing it? I mean, I know he did Scream Queens. John Stamos would have been a damn good vampire too, actually. Yeah, but but no. A random thought. He was actually an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Believe it or not. I did not know that one. That's a good one, actually. Um, okay, so. Also, there was a reason why the mother never woke up. I should mention because there was a loud noise, and. I love the line. Uh, I don't. We don't want to make too much noise and wake up your mother. It's like, and then he proceeds to destroy the entire damn room, making a lot of noise. And we finally figured out why with one line. Oh, honey, do you want some Valium to help you sleep? <laughs> like, shit, that woman is drugged out of her ass. Well, there's a backstory in the novelization that um, Charlie's father left years before that. They didn't put that in the movie, but. With that backstory, maybe she is Loki a drug addict. So. Uh, probably, but still, that, that, at least now, at least we know why she did not wake up. True. So, basically, for for this night, Charlie manages to get away, and now we have a a pretty a big leap, which okay, with this kind of movie, you have to there's there's certain leaps you have to just make with the movie, a leap of logic you have to take with the movie, you have to grant it that to get to the second half of the movie. So how old is this character, by the way, Charlie? Well, he's definitely in high school. Uh, well, he's in Trig. So I'll unless he's a, 17. Un- unless he's Doogie Howser Kid Genius, then that's an upper-level Kid Genius, class. he failed! Well, yeah, but I'm saying it, it must be at least 11th or 12th grade if he's in trigonometry. But still, the this this next scene, I don't understand it. Okay, well, listen. I, okay, for example, I I'm a big horror movie fan, right? And I have been since I was a kid, but never have I ever, have I ever, ever, ever been watching a horror movie and thought that the hero was actually a hero in real life. Uh. (laughs) So we've established from the beginning of the movie that Charlie watches a lot of Peter Vincent, vampire killer. And in this moment where serious shit's going down, this vampire is going to kill your ass. He makes the decision to seek out the help of the 
actor Peter Vincent who hosts a vampire show <laughs> because he thinks that he's actually really a vampire killer in real life. Which Peter Vincent knows for a fact he is not because he is literally an actor. Which he tells Charlie's like, look, I'm not a vampire killer, dude. The vampires don't exist. I don't know. <clears throat> is Charlie... Is Charlie on drugs? I'm not going to say... His mom slipped him some Valium, didn't she? Uh, yeah, it's not, I'm not going to say stupid, but maybe like... it's. Is it drugs? Is it delusional? <laughs> like, he, he goes to the studio. A studio, people. So by going to a studio, you know that you're going to see an actor because you're going to his studio to meet him. Oh, that scene really just gives me goosebumps with how stupid it is. So Peter Vincent, of course, like, dumbass little kid. Like, what's, <laughs> so what are you, like, are you serious? Like, get away from me. I'm not helping you. But yeah, he we gets fin- a proper reaction. So we finally get Peter Vincent in the damn movie. Yeah, and then not the... Not him in the television in the background. We get the actual person who has recently been fired from his TV show. Because, because nobody likes vampires no more. And you, do, you, do you remember what he said? Why? He said they only want to see uh, people in masks killing virgins. So it was a, basically a... <laughs> Jason. Basically making fun of uh, the slasher craze of the 80s. Which is right. Um, yeah, so Peter's like, okay, this kid's a fan, but... Once he hears like his story, he's like, uh, yeah, you need help, kid. I'm, up, I'm out here. <laughs> Gets in the car, drives away as Charlie's like, Peter, Peter, for God's sake, help me out. Or something like that. But Yeah, I'm, uh, again, I'm just sitting like. I think that, but this, yeah, that's, this is the leap that you have to make for this movie to work. The, the, the idea here is, the whole gimmick here basically is that Charlie and the vampire killer from the TV show are going to team up, basically, and, and take out the vampire. So it's a leap. Which I would be fine with if maybe the vampire killer... If there was more of a natural way to get them together. Right, like maybe the vampire himself didn't like the TV show and went to kill them. He said his list of victims is going to be prostitutes and then an endless Peter Vincent. <laughs> Peter Vincent, because I, I hate that damn show. Exactly. I mean, that would have been good, too. But I mean, like, it's just like Sasha's death. She hated the damn show. Just like whoever's going to end up killing us. They hate our show. All right, stop putting that ju- bad juju in there, all right? Okay, but that's, listen, that's that's the leap we have to take. So I'm going to grant them that one big leap. Now I don't grant them that. That definitely loses a star for me. No, I mean, that's that's the story, though. That's what it is. But, okay, at least, though, they don't make it easy. It's not like Peter Vincent's like, let me help you. He drives off like an airport's away. But... <laughs> Now we get his friends involved. We get Amy involved. We get Evil Ed. We have them going to um, Peter Vince's apartment. And the reasoning is pretty spot on. It's like basically like, hey, if you don't help out, Charlie's going to try to go kill this guy, kill the neighbor. Which, again, right then and there, that could have easily been the be- better way to introduce him into the story. Yes. Instead of the whole damn scene of Charlie thinking... Point. Peter Vincent is an actual vampire killer. Have which I guess technically him them doing this, he pro, they'd probably still technically believe it. So you'd still get that leap, but at least this way it'd be like, oh yeah, I do that to make money because actual vampire if, killing is not if, lucrative. If, if his girlfriend Evil had know that he's really high on Peter Vincent, they independently could just hey, he's told us his plan. Let's go get Peter Vincent to help convince him not to do it exactly then we don't have charlie being an idiot who actually went to peter vince himself <laughs> like not like actually to be like hey you're a vampire killer right like help me kill him okay. uh, that's true that that have been interesting too but regardless they actually call up um peter vince 
All right, they go to his apartment. No, they go to his apartment. They basically convince him to help out, otherwise he's going to kill the neighborhood. Well, they pay him. They do pay him. $500. I forgot about that. <laughs> I keep thinking Peter Vince is a good person, but actually... No, he he was down on his luck. He needs the money. He literally just lost his job. He, he has act- an eviction notice. He actually is getting evicted unless they these kids come and help pay the rent. Exactly. Son of a bitch. Okay. But they, they call the vampire, though. They call Jerry Dandridge and set up this dinner, basically. And Jerry Dandridge gets off the phone. And he's like, they're bringing Peter Vincent to convince them that I'm not a vampire. By the way, the guy eats apples. Did, did you really him. have to take the bite and make the sound effects? I don't know. I just was thinking about him. He eats the damn apple. <laughs> because the, the I told you the actor, uh, the actor researched uh, vampire, the history of vampires and found a big connection with bats. Fruit bats. I was about to say, better bring up which bat. And that fruit bat is why he's eating apples out there. Remember, the there are such things as vampire bats, but that's literally because their form of sustenance is drinking blood from animals. True. Okay, so, you know, Charlie's like, okay, he's going to bring Amy, Evil Ed, and now Peter Vincent over to Jerry Dandridge's house to expose him as his plan. Expose him as a vampire. If I'm Charlie, well, if Charlie was smart, he would be thinking... Hey, if this again, if this goes bad, what's to stop this vampire from just killing me and my friends and Peter Vincent? Right. Like, come expose him, but, like, bring a shotgun or something, the, <laughs> like a stake in your back pocket. Right. Something. Remember, remember actually, Charlie did ask. I was like, okay, what do you got to do this? Like, I got this. Because what's that? This is holy water. Oh. Like, come on, we're up. Whatever thing else. There's a fucking vampire in there. Peter Vincent's actually telling the vampire the whole time. It's like, you know, just do this basically for... It's just tap water. Just tap water, whatever. Drinks the Drinks the water. Because you have to get a, a priest to, to bless a the A priest water, to right? actually bless it, which is funny because they live right next to a church. You think it'd be easy to go ahead and do that. Exactly. Or they don't even think to do that. Okay. Well, they don't believe Ch- Charlie in the first place. Why should they? This is all basically everybody's in on this except Charlie. Exactly. The vampire's in on it. All his friends. They're all just here basically to get these vampire thoughts out of his brain. And basically. to be honest with you, if it wasn't for Amy being there, vampire probably would have left him alone after this. See, I struggle with that thinking about it because in my mind, he was going to leave them alone. Even even Amy aside, he passed the test basically for, and actually, by the way, even after the test, Charlie's still not convinced. So the vampire basically has to come out and just be like, hey, listen, you've already caused, you know, enough, you know, pain for your friend. Like basically just threatens, like, I'm going to kill your friends if you keep pushing this basically. Right. And gets Charlie to say like, all right, are you convinced I'm not a vampire? He's like, nope. I think it's basically over, but unfortunately, Peter Vincent has a little mirror thing that he uses. To check his makeup. Drops it on the ground. Oh, no. First, he, the reason he drops it on the ground is because he sees that uh, Jerry does not have his uh, has a reflection. Does not have the reflection. From that drops it, a piece drops, I say. Oh. They leave, so actually then Peter Vincent hurries the hell out because now he's freaked out, basically. Because now he realizes, oh, shit, I'm going to die. But everything still seems cool until... Jerry finds the piece of glass on the ground. And he's just like, well. Got to kill them. <laughs> More victims. You're right. There was definitely an Amy connection, but I don't think. I don't know at that point Jerry had already decided I'm going to pursue the girl. He probably, honestly, it, he, we didn't get that. We didn't get to that point yet when he found the sliver of glass. Because at that point, he's probably thinking, well, I need to go find my next meal. Because to be honest. Even if he was going to pursue her, he wasn't going to pursue to kill her, which we later and, find out. And even then, if he's going to pursue her, it, doesn't, it wasn't necessarily going to involve the rest of them. Exactly. When he saw the little piece of glass, he was like, 
I got to get rid of all four of those people, basically. Yeah. Because then immediately, he's on foot now, going after now. Which brings me. I got a, I got some problems there. It's coming up. I got some problems too. <laughs> all right. Well, let's. Uh, maybe we got the same problem. Let's. Oh, uh, so my problem is is uh, with Evil Ed's uh, not really death yet. Uh, his death, I have no problems with. But it's more the fact that he chooses... Now, there's still a murderer out there. If you don't believe in the whole vampire shtick, there's still three dead bodies Yes, that we heard over the newscast in this area. Someone want to explain to me why you decide to walk through a creepy alley, fogged up, uh, by yourself? Not only that... Especially with the evil Ed being into horror. He but, should know better. But let's rewind two minutes even. He's there when Charlie confronts Peter Vincent like, you saw something, and Peter Vincent says, you know, I didn't see his reflection. Evil Ed's standing next to them hearing this. Peter Vincent drives off scared, and Evil Ed's all of a sudden like, vampires aren't real, Brewster! Like, you just heard Peter Vincent like drive off scared as shit. Why are you a skeptical hippo all of a sudden? Oh, right. Okay. Just... Knowledge about hordos, everything about vampires. Like, your friend came to you because you're the master of vampires. Um, missing victims, right? And you just saw something potentially happen there. So, yeah, for him to be the one to be like, let's go down the dark alley. And by the way, he asked them, like, let's all go down the dark alley. And they're like, no, let's not do that. That was a bad idea. But he gets offended and he's like, vampires aren't real! And then he just, like, gets offended and, like, like, purposely, like, takes off by himself. Now, if he's a horror movie fan, he knows one of the main rules is to not split up. Not to Straight split up. Numbers. Don't go in back alleys with a bunch of fog. Not only that, he does the boy cried wolf because he, oh, make, yeah. he makes fun of it. Ah, I'm going to give you a hickey. And actually, it's, it's, a, it's, it's actually a funny scene. But what's funnier is, like, immediately you cut to, like, Jerry, like... Just like, start hunting him. Like, stalking him, basically. So you get to that. So you got a cool-ass little chase scene in the alley. Well, it is a chase scene, but it's not, like, a slasher chase scene. It's, like, Jerry's walking slow as shit. Uh-huh. Like, hands in his pocket, laid back, cool. Well, remember, Jerry also has been teleporting in this. I think he actually knows that this alley leads to a dead end. <laughs> so that's why he's, like, so casually walking, because Evil has run his ass off, comes to a dead end, turns around... Evil Ed just kind of got relieved because all the smoke actually started dissipating, and then Jerry ends up behind him. That's Again, true. teleportation. True. And so, <laughs> um, so I liked how the scene played out because I like that. You right, he shows up behind him, right? And in a typical horror movie, it's a jump scare. He's there, and then pretty, he he bites him. Well, pretty much. We don't get that here. Right. He he scares him. Kids crying, but then he talks them into eternal life in a sense. He brings he gives them, them the choice. He brings them on board with the idea of this is better for you. You don't have to be an outcast. You don't have to be scared. He brings them on board with the idea of becoming a vampire to a point where Evil Ed is handing handing his hand like, okay, let's do this. Now, then you hear, ah! So whatever happened hurt probably, but he well, was yeah, on board he got, though. He got fucking fangs in the neck. So for me, that that's like the kind of thing that for me brings up a notch because you could have easily done like a, just a a real stereotypical kill there, but instead it's like the character like basically instead of doing a forceful kill, talked to him, brought him on board. It wasn't scared. 
Like, yeah. Again, just supports my theory that Jerry's not a bad guy. <laughs> you just want to make the villain sympathetic. He is. He's not, he's a, he's a chill goo. Like, I want to hang out with him. It's a cool dude. So uh, now we get this club scene. Oh, which yeah. hey, what what's a it's an eighties movie without eighties club scene. So Well, uh, there there's one question I got with this. So obviously in the club, the they get separated because Charlie, for some reason, decides to talk to the wall when he calls cops, completely losing sight of his girlfriend as she gets hypnotized. This is the only time you actually see him physically hypnotize somebody in this whole movie. Yeah. And and they, they dance. Right now, you can also see that the hypnotism isn't 100% because she's slowly breaking out of it, which could just be her state of mind. But is it I just me? Or during their dance, when she's looking in the mirror, she somehow goes from looking kind of like a young teenager to an adult all of a sudden. She looks no. like now she aged like four years. It's part of the hypnosis. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> her hair grew. He's, she went from short hair to poofy hair. Like he's selling her on becoming a vampirist, okay? By showing what she'll look like afterwards. He hasn't even shown her what she ends up looking like afterwards, and we'll, <laughs> well go into that when we see her. Well, he was stricken her, but basically she's definitely in a trance because she could give a damn now what happens to Charlie. Charlie's in the, in the club, too, and tries to stop the whole thing, and... You know, the vampire. She's just sitting there like, uh. Jerry makes it uh, known in no uncertain words that, hey, she's mine now. You're the ex boyfriend. And if you try to do anything else, your ass is grass. I mean, he even said, if you really want her, then come to my house and bring Peter Vincent with you. Because he still has that unfinished business of, I got to kill these mofos. I took care of Evil Ed. <laughs> exactly. Amy's about to be my bride. But I didn't forget about you, Peter Vincent. You ran home, but I still got and you. The, and then we get your favorite actor okay so yeah so i'm watching this and you know what's funny is i never put it together before this uh security guard in the club who ends up getting basically destroyed by uh by challenging uh, jerry danridge in the club and come to come to come to see it's basically uh it's uh it's ali, ali from friday 13th part three my favorite character from part three who got hacked to pieces should have been the hero, should have saved the day, but Jason hacked off his arm and just proceeded to hack away for 15 minutes. But he did distract, distract long enough for Chris, the hero, to chop up, oh, I guess put an axe in Jason's head. But my man Ali killed there, and now back here in Friday Night, killed again. <laughs> He's always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. What are you doing, Ali? And it seems like he was Go just... Get, get yourself in a romantic comedy so you don't get killed. No, get into a movie where you can actually be the main character. Action movie. These be a the, biker movie. These are the only two movies I've seen him in, and they got <laughs> killed quickly in both of them. This was still a big thing in the 80s, right? Minorities were always getting killed in horror movies in the 80s, and it's unacceptable. So, after Club, we get Peter Vincent versus... Evil Ed. Evil Ed. Because stupid... Well, I guess not stupid Peter Vincent, because Peter Vincent doesn't know that Ed has been turned. Is Peter Vincent at this point thinking about leaving? He's pro probably he's, getting... Oh, yeah. He's, he's leaving town. Oh, yeah. He's, he's getting hell out at this point, I think he's just more speculating it because you see him sitting down drinking. All of a sudden, he hears the door, and it's, and it's saying, hey, Peter, let me in. You wonder about, of all the characters who have horror movie knowledge, really, Peter Vincent probably has the most, if you think about it. He actually hosts the damn vampire show. Yeah, but... He probably puts the two into together like, hey, this vampire is probably going to try and come and kill me because I'm a witness here, and I'm, I almost exposed him. So, So he's definitely thinking about... You know, finding gas money and then <laughs> so, leaving. 
So the and he lets Evil Ed in and come to find out, boom, fight scene because Ed's now trying to kill Peter Vincent. Yeah, and and all of a sudden, all of Evil Ed's eccentricities and weird facial expressions and his match. laugh. Now they suddenly work, and now I'm like, whoa, this is a great performance because it was annoying to me when he was a teenager, but as a vampire, he's just obnoxious, but like in a fun way. I don't know. Right, because he definitely sells it. And to be honest, Ed is, I wouldn't say 100% intimidating, but his charismatic nature along with the fact that he's trying to kill someone just adds something to everything going on. Absolutely. So this is where, so, and also, so the way he gets out of this is cross to the face. And yeah. it works. It works. Because I guess evil, I guess according to lore, evil Ed's the one that believed it would work, so it worked. Yeah. Evil Ed is not old enough of a vampire yet to understand that both apparent, one needs to have the faith. I still don't understand how this works. But anyway, so we get the Amy bite scene. Okay. Yep. So Jerry Jerry and Amy have an intimate moment, and he bites her. I did not pick this out. Amelia did. The gasp did not match the breathing when Jerry bites her. Pretty much it was audio formed in, and they just uh. did it in the wrong spot. And the actress just didn't do the right movement. Interesting. Uh, You know, the actress is, uh, she is the... The neighbor's wife in the Married with Children TV show. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Like she actually was pretty well known in the nineties for Married with Children. Nice. Uh and then the and then Charlie goes to get Peter Vincent to get him in there. Now, because you cut it out of the Tremors podcast, I'm gonna say it again. Gun safety people do not point a gun that's presumably loaded at the other person's face with your hand on the trigger. That can go wrong sometimes, especially in pulp fiction. Especially and Shot damn, Mark, especially since uh, this guy, he's so scared out of his mind, he's shaking like crazy. Peter Vincent. Yes. So explain to me why people think it's a good idea to have to show hand on trigger, muzzle pointed right at the guy's face. Yeah, that didn't go well. That could have that, that could have ended the movie right then and there. To be honest with you, um, that probably would have been a better ending. Ah, well. <laughs> So you got anything before we get to the ending? Well, I mean, we're st- I mean, this whole thing is the ending. So now we also get to evil uh, Peter Vincent, uh, too scared to fight face off against Jerry, runs over to the mom's house to Charlie's house. But we have more evil Ed. Evil Ed. This guy won't die. Not only will he not die, but how does how is it he already knows how to turn into a wolf? I don't know. He he's newly turned. This his should be- ability of vampires are. His abilities are escalating very quickly in this movie. Yeah, because <laughs> very quickly. I, I'm not saying it's expert level, but I'm saying that should still take some time to learn. Um. Well, let's be honest. There's no. Um, Especially a wolf, a bat. They I can understand. They didn't take time to establish good internal vampire logic in this movie. There's a line in the movie towards the end, basically, where um, essentially they're at. She's. They're like, okay. They find Amy. Like, what are we gonna do? And is it too late for? Her? And Peter's just like. Not if we kill Jerry by dawn. And he's like, you know, you think that'll do it? And he makes a very telling statement. He's like, well, so far everything's lining up with what we know from horror movies. Right. So the logic of the movie is just basically they happen to be lucky that everything they're doing 
is from horror movies they've seen. It actually it actually works in the real world. Right. It's um, like uh, I mean, which makes me wonder who made the first vampire movie. Was it a vampire? I don't know, but it's vampire literally... Vampire that hated vampires? But literally everything is spot on from the holy water to the garlic to the cross. I have to have faith, the sunlight, all that. Like every vampire rule from horror movies actually applies to these vampires. So, right. So I don't know if they're just making... They're poking fun at the idea of that. They called out in the movie. It's like, hey, so far, everything we know from horror movies is working so far. So... So I guess... So at this point now, we're getting pretty much a cat and mouse game after they kill the ghoul. Well, uh, so one note on the ghoul... My favorite scene is when the ghoul is laid out at the bottom of the stairs. And at this point, from what we know so far, he's human, so he's dead. And he raises up like Michael Myers and starts to walk up the stairs. It's my favorite <laughs> shot because I got to imagine, like, as an audience member, I was just like, I was like, again, you're just like, well, what the hell is this? Is this a, <laughs> a vampire? It's not a vampire because he's, he's alive during the day. Um, he's awake during the day. He's not a human being, obviously. He just got shot in the head. (laughs) Unless he went to the the Michael Myers school of being human where he (laughs) had intolerable pain and can survive multiple gunshots and everything. So the goal remains a mystery, basically. Oh, yeah. All we know is that, I guess, a reanimated corpse because it once stabbed in the heart, it just dropped dead after melting. You know, because of the green goo. Because they're going by the Fuck you, troll, too. We're doing that super soon. <laughs> because we um, we know the rules of this of this vampire movie goes by the rules of just, or the rules of vampires go by what we know from horror movies. We know that for Jerry, probably he's gonna die by either exposure to sunlight, a stake in the heart. Well, I guess that's probably the two main things. So um, we know something's gonna lead to one of these things happening. Oh yeah, because I guess technically the vampire lore in this chopping off the head does not actually work this time. Yeah. Because there is lore where the only way to kill a vampire is actually chopping off the head. Or also you have the um, the silver bullet thing, but that really doesn't That's matter. werewolves. Oh, you're right. No, never mind. What the fuck is wrong with you right now? No, right. <laughs> um, well, where's the chopping the head thing from? I haven't heard of uh, that. Chopping the head thing was actually from one of the original styles of vampires when they actually had rows, like 32 different rows of teeth, almost shark-like teeth instead of just the two fangs. Uh, And also, Bram Stoker's Dracula stated that in order to kill Dracula, you needed to not only stab him in the heart, but then to chop off his head with a silver sword. So you needed to pretty much double hit him. I feel like in most vampire things going forward, they kind of, they left out the the Chopping off the head. Yeah, just the stake of the heart work. Right. Um, Okay, so of course, I mean, predictably so, we understand that most likely what's going to happen here is that Charlie saves the day while still saving Amy, turning her back into human. They end up happily ever after. Now, d- d- please remember the the line of, if we can kill Dandridge by dawn, Amy will survive. Now, what they should have said, because it is well at past dawn by the time they finally kill him, what they yeah. should have said was, uh, kill Dandridge before she feeds. Yes. Because that, they completely do. Now, I also want to ask, uh, how did Amy not burn alive? Because during the climax, she comes down into the basement. There's light all over the damn house at this point. Especially since Dandridge yeah. broke through a window. Maybe because she was... No, I'm, not gonna, I'm just freestyling here. Maybe because she was a developing vampire, she didn't yet have 
their strengths or their weaknesses. See, maybe? I can understand, uh, no, because if they would have said not feeding, meaning she hadn't fully turned, I could understand that. But they said before dawn, which should mean that she should have already been fully turned by this point. True. And also, she kind of is fully turned because during the f- climax, she versus she fights Charlie, and she gets that those weird ass like full fledged vampire uh, from dusk till dawn mouth. Yeah. Uh, with long hair also. She doesn't even have her poofy hair anymore. She has long hair. Well, again, yeah, the rule's over the place because we saw how quickly Evil Ed, you know, became a vampire expert, basically. Right. Our expert vampire, but with her, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, you know, again, they, uh, the movie definitely has some internal rules that it breaks within itself. Um, but I'll give it a pass because it definitely... It feels this movie feels more like a um, a tribute or homage to vampire movies versus actually itself trying to be a good vampire movie. So it's tricky, uh, and it's also it's pretty much played mostly for laughs. I would say it's mostly campy. I mean, um, yeah. Then, if this happened like in like a if that was like in like Interview with a Vampire or like a more serious vampire movie or Bram Stoker's Dracula. You gotta have to have higher standards for that with its vampire logic, I guess. Um, literally, this is a movie that's literally saying basically, we don't know what the hell's going on, but this <laughs> this worked out in the movie, so this might be how this is how it's working out so far. So right, so um, pretty much we're at the end. He, you know, Peter, uh, the way they kill him is by breaking every single window in the basement, which I don't remember looking at the exterior of the house being that many windows by the basement. Yeah, that. If I, <laughs> If, if that is the vampire's house, that basement is set up really like to like come back to haunt him. Exactly, because it seems <laughs> Who like designed every that basement si- for a place like where the vampire Every single be? wall had a window. Yeah. Now the ghoul did a terrible job of picking out this house. I mean, <laughs> right. his real estate shopping was horrible. He was like, um, "Let me get the one with the basement where they can break the windows and kill my master." Easy. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. We got exactly that for it. Maybe the ghoul one will be released. You say there's, a, you say there's, it's six percent below listing price. I'll take it. Maybe, well, he doomed his master. Ooh, what if, what if he ended up in the Amityville house? That's true. That'd be a good spinoff. <laughs> Fright Night versus Amityville. Oh God. <laughs> I so, don't want it. There's so many shitty Amityville movies. Why not add a vampire to the mix? <laughs> um. So we get um, sort of a happily ever after ending. We get an ending where basically uh, we have them in, again in the bedroom, um, calling back to the beginning. Peter's back on TV. Got, uh-huh. him, got his job. And he even does a little wink to Charlie. Um, all is well in suburbia, except we have these eyes, these mm. red glowing eyes. And we have that evil Ed voice. Which is just clipped audio from the beginning, <laughs> pasted here at the end again. Of You're him. funny, Brewster. And I laugh, which I can't do. Um, suggesting maybe that Evil Ed's alive, or which is weird because we see him get stabbed through the heart with a stake. But granted, his body didn't disintegrate. But again, we don't know if this lore states that vampires would disintegrate once stabbed through the heart, or just when burned alive through the sun. Because I've been told that he's not in this. Evil Ed's not in the sequel. We never hear from him again. I'm going to say canonized, he's probably dead because if he was alive, we'd have seen him in the sequel. Yeah, because Charlie's in the sequel, and so is uh, Peter Vincent. So. And let's be honest, if Evil Dead was next door that night, 
you know, just came over there and killed him. So that's probably how why Amy's not in it. Hey, I, I think Amy probably just left. <laughs> so. <laughs> so there's a lot of scenes basically where it's just about the facial expressions. There's no dialogue, and the actors do a great job of selling it. The music is fantastic. I feel like the second half of the movie is very, very entertaining. So I'm going to try to mostly judge based on the second half. And I'm going to give it three stars. Anyway, um, so my final thoughts is, so the movie definitely does have some entertainment value, but at the same time, it's just, when I was young, I loved the movie. I enjoyed it so much, but now, I just, I mean, granted, when I first saw it, I was young and a kid and still, you know, enjoying myself. I'm still enjoying myself, but I also got a wife now to enjoy myself with me. Egert was the uh, guy who pretty much gives really harsh reviews. Ebert. Yeah, so I guess now I'm Ebert. Anyway, um, so I'll give it, I'll add one star for it. It's still entertaining, but at the same time, I don't know if I'll ever go back to watch it, to be honest with you. Unless it's on TV and I'm bored. And then I am going to add another point to the fact that, you know, I enjoy the story. I mean, think about how frightening it would be to actually have a vampire live next door. Like, are you going to be next? But to be completely honest with you, I don't really care for much. I don't care for enough of the characters to add another point to it. I have to care about at least half of them. I only cared as you brought. I really only cared about the vampire. I didn't even care. I didn't even care for Peter Vincent all that much. But I'll get. I'll add another half a star to the fact that I did enjoy the music. We love you and all, and y'all don't have to go home. But y'all gotta get the fuck off this podcast. Y'all have a good night.